Good evening, everybody, and welcome. My name is Mark Ledbury, and I'm the director of the Power Institute. And on behalf of the China Study Centre and Sydney Ideas and the Power, I'd like to welcome you all here. And I'd first like to acknowledge that the campuses of the University of Sydney are built on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'd like to pay my respect to their elders, past and present. Before handing you over to my colleague Stephen Whiteman, who is going to introduce the topic and the speakers and get things rolling, and this really is a conversation, the title of which is Curating Chinese Contemporary Art in an Australian Context. And we have, as I say, very grateful to our very special guests who've made time to come and sort of talk about their experience and the, and the you know, what's at stake in how we curate um, especially contemporary Chinese art these days. I'm delighted you could all be here. I'm delighted they could be here. I'm going to uh, bid you welcome again and introduce my colleague Stephen Whiteman, who is going to uh, introduce our panelists and get things underway. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. My name is Stephen Whiteman. I'm lecturer of Asian art here at the University of Sydney. And thank you to the China Study Center and the Power Institute and Sydney Ideas for bringing us all together tonight to discuss a topic curating contemporary Chinese art in an Australian context. Um, we have three guests tonight who are from uh, galleries and museums in Sydney. I'm sure that they do not require introduction, but just in case, I'll give you a brief uh, outline of who they are. Uh, on the far left is Aaron Sito. Uh, Aaron is currently director of Gallery 4A, the Center for Contemporary Asian Art in Haymarket in Chinatown. He, after a number of years, six, eight, seven, seven-ish, seven um, at Gallery 4A, is shortly off to Brisbane, where he'll be joining the staff at the Queensland Art Gallery. Um, to his right is Beatrice Grelton, uh, whose official title is Visual Art Curator, is that correct? Yes, Visual Art Curator at Carriage Works, a large multi-art multi center uh, in Everly, our neighbor just uh, behind. Um, she's rec most recently the curator of uh, Zhanghuan Sydney Buddha installation. And to my left is Suhani Raphael, um, Director of Collections at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Uh, position that she assumed in 2013, uh, before which she was for quite a time at the Queensland Art Gallery, uh, most recently uh, interim director. So to give you a little sense of how this evening will go, um, I've asked uh, each of our panelists to introduce their current or most recent uh, exhibition of uh, contemporary Chinese art. The original conception for this evening was built around a number of shows that uh, happened to coincide. Um, followed by a period of questions uh, and discussion that I'll try to sort of, I won't say curate, moderate, and push along. Um, uh, and then some time at the end uh, for questions from you all. And so I hope that you have some questions that uh, you'd like to direct our way, or their way. I'll just be here. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to pass uh, off first to Aaron. Um, and ask Aaron to talk a little about the Yangzheng uh, Group installation most recently at 4A. Thank you for the invitation and it's great to be here. The exhibition I'm, I'm going to introduce you, to you tonight is uh, by the artist collective Yangzheng Group who come from um, Yangzheng, which is a small coastal city in Guangdong province. Um, but in order to introduce it, I'm going to very briefly talk about why, who, who 4A is, the organization 
a lot of this stuff is online, but I think it kind of, uh, it's, it needs to be said to illustrate the type of perspective or the types of relationships that Foray has developed with artists. So we're a non-profit, we're a contemporary art space, we were established in 1996 and our first exhibitions were in 1997. And we emerged as an artist-run space, as an artist-run space um, by a group of artists who were very keen to ensure that the history of Asia in Australia was not going to be written out of the broader cultural histories of Australia. 1996 is the um, maiden speech of Pauline Hanson. It kind of gives you an indication of the, of the types of conversations that that certain types of artists were having, and the, the role that independent space, independent curatorial practices were having uh, with relationship to broader uh, histories and politics and, and society. So this exhibition, Young Jung Group, is, is, de we were is deliberately working with artists who are outside of uh, Beijing and Shanghai. A lot of the shows that, and the artists who we probably all know about come from uh, these major cities. So we were interested, as we were doing the research, well, what, is the, what are the different types of conversations that are happening around China that might have some resonance in Australia? Um, a lot of this stuff, as I said, is online, so I'm just going to really whiz through this. Um, the invitation to Young Jung Group was such that we said to them, we would like to work with you. Um, and we would like to commission a, new, a series of new works with you. And the, what we would like to do is give you access to the entire organization, to the entire building, thinking that they would come back with uh, proposals for installations in storerooms or bathrooms or kitchens. But they came back with a, with a complete, slightly different, uh, slightly different um, proposal to us, which encompassed the organization. They, one of the, the works which you can't see, you, ha you had to sit down and participate, was a work called Tea Office. And they, as part of their practice, they're very interested in esoteric forms of knowledge, tea, um, acupuncture, uh, different, for, different, different modulations of energy as they kind of exist within within Chinese cultural thinking. And so the tea was a way in which they, which we, well, they said to us that every morning for the entire duration of the exhibition, you have to sit down with the staff and drink a cycle of teas. And over that period, like, you know, perhaps we would become smarter, we'd become more enlightened. A uh, whole, whole bunch of things could happen to us. So it was really a, about a process of thinking about the um, types of cultural practices that could be considered as being contemporary, and also thinking through a different way of looking at the relationship between the organisation or the curatorial team and the actual audiences themselves. So what the other things that we're looking at here, this work is another work we commissioned called Final Days. It was, all of the work relates back to their city, Yangzheng. The clothing is kind of the generic cheap stuff that you can buy at Paddy's markets or all around the world actually. Uh, they'd been modified with, with calligraphic slogans using the types of idiomatic expressions that um, sellers would, do, would use in the street. And they created this, this shop front for us where it was like an abandoned, it was an, it was an abandoned shop. The entire contents of the shop was covered in wax. and 
two, I suppose there are two things here. One is that they were interested in different forms of exchange. So like it's, Jenggulgu, uh, who is the main artist, was saying that at one point, not very recently, we all went to shops. Now we're, we're all kind of um, engaging with commerce on, online. So, you know, it's a slight shift in behavior which he was interested in. So this is the interior of the shop. Also, uh, looking out onto Hay Street, so we're a gallery that has got a shop front, uh, a street front. As well as the exhibition, we produced an event with the Chinese Gardens in Sydney. And if you haven't been since you were at high school on an excursion, you must go. It is one of the most interesting and um, tranquil places in, in, in Sydney. Uh, the plantings are extraordinary. The garden design is extraordinary. And, and, and so when we were offered the opportunity with, by the gardens to produce something, we thought that this was actually quite a nice uh, relationship between the, the types of uh, traditional cultural things which, which Young Jung Group is interested in and what it might mean to have a, have a garden, a Chinese garden in the middle of, of Sydney City. So what they produced for us is, is one of their very well-known performances which is called After Dinner Shufa, After Dinner Calligraphy. Um, they, 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 make a, they find some words which reflect what's going on in the city at that day. They make some calligraphy and then they, they form that calligraphy out of the remnants of, and the scraps of food uh, of a dinner that we had. Uh, other interactive things that they were doing within the garden. So this is a, a face painting, it's a game. It's a, I'm not allowed to say drinking game, but it's a drinking game. <laughs> Uh, that's the, the uh, finished product of the, of the shufa. And this is the inside of the, of the, of the exhibition. The, I, and I'm going to finish here. The, 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 work which, the other work which we commissioned upstairs is, was a massive calligraphic mural, which actually came out of a conversation with Kerry Brown and Jen Wugu. He came to, um, went to dinner with the two of them. And Jen Wugu was asking, well, what is the relationship between China and Australia like? You know, what, is the, what are the things that people are talking about? And in, in, inevitably, because we live in Sydney, we were talking about real estate. So you know, the, the, the slogan which emerges from this conversation and which is the key work in this exhibition is a slogan that says, God is dead, long live the renminbi. And I think, you know, it's a, you know a lot, other people have read many things into it, but the, th the thing is that what, what I read into it is, is that I think that a lot of the kind of curatorial uh, and institutional drive towards China is, is sometimes uh, modulated by, the, um, the, by, by economics. So um, I'll, I'll leave it there. It's a Thank you. Well, for the time being, you've stolen my next question, so I'll pass it to Okay. You. Can you hear me? Is that okay? Thanks. Um, thank you, Aaron. And I just wanted to convey my thanks to Mark and Stephen and Ping and the team here at Sydney University and the Power Institute um, and pay my respects to Gadigal people and elders past and present for allowing us to be here. Um, so I'm the visual arts curator at Carriageworks, a role which I've been in since the beginning of 2012, uh, so just over three years. And you know Carriage Works, if you don't, you must go there. It's just located in Everly, uh, close to Sydney Uni here. Um, it's in the former Everly Rail Yard. 
And it's an enormous series and kind of precinct, really, of buildings that dates from the 1890s. Um, Carriageworks has rather rapidly, I would say actually very rapidly, developed into Australia's largest multidisciplinary arts institution. We are a young organisation. The building opened in 2007. Uh, and Lisa Havilah, who is our current director, came to Carriageworks in 2011. And this is an important turning point because it's really under Lisa's directorship that Carriageworks has built a team who now curate and direct our own artistic program. Uh, and this has resulted in a major shift in the strategic direction of the organisation. In addition to our resident companies who develop and produce works uh, independently that is shown off their own bat but also part of the artistic program, Carriageworks artistic program, we now have our own curatorial programming team. So that's where I fit into the mix um, of Carriageworks. So our visual arts strategy is fairly new um, and it's developing rapidly. One of the most distinguishing features of Carriageworks is of course our very large scale public space, a beautifully stripped back cavernous hall where we commission and present major contemporary visual arts projects, international and Australian. The two that I'll mention here this evening and that we can talk about in more detail uh, is Waste Not, which is just uh, on the screen now, by the Chinese artist Song Dong, which um, we showed in the summer of 2013, and that was actually a partnership that we did with 4A, um, and Sydney Buddha by Zhang Wan, uh, which was presented this summer and actually closed on the weekend. The work is still up, but we are packing it up tomorrow. Um, so both of these works were shown from, from the summer, from January through to March. Um, they were shown in association with the Sydney Festival, which usually begins in the first week of January. Um, and both of them ran through Chinese New Year and into the beginning of the tertiary New Year into March. And all of those, I guess, those um, aspects of time and, and how the city calendar, cultural calendar runs and things that punctuate an exhibition is something that we're interested in as we grow our capacity and as we reach out to new audiences. Um, so that's just a little bit of the context of, of Carriageworks and our visual arts strategy and planning. Um, so the Zhang Wan exhibition, uh, Sydney Buddha, is a large scale installation of a Buddha and here you can see our team building it. Here's Zhang Wan. And it's 20 tonnes of incense ash uh, collected by Zhang Wan and his team uh, and hand-packed into the aluminium Buddha mould, which is then unpacked to reveal the ash Buddha. Um, it took our team uh, seven days, working from 6am until 3pm, a team of 12 people, uh, to pack and, and hand-build the work. Um, and getting the, the work actually into the country is a whole other other story. Um, it was really important, I guess one of the things that's important for Carriageworks and, and part of our philosophy as an organisation, and we can talk about this later, is that we're artist driven um, and unrelenting in our support of artists. So it's very important for us to know, for, for, the, for our artists to essentially control what's going on. And we have to be able to manage things that are a little bit unpredictable at times because of that. Uh, and one example of that is at the opening of this exhibition uh, where Zhang Wan had arrived a couple of days before and was thrilled with how the Buddha um, had survived. Uh, part of the intention of this work is that it will fall apart um, and when you remove the case, it will natu naturally 
uh, degrade and waste away and disintegrate. Um, we removed the case of the Buddha and it was in really good shape. And so he was quite excited by that and he said, oh, well, let's do a performance at the opening and I'm going to pull away the face and the hand of the Buddha and then, you know, we'll see what happens. And we said, I said, okay, sure, great. So we choreographed that and, and got his specifications of how we'd do that. And when we removed the hand of the face and the face, the face actually stayed beautifully uh, intact, but the hand disintegrated. Um, and what we'd also done at the opening is every year for our summer exhibition, we invite uh, Uncle Max, who's a local elder, to come to Carriage Works and do a smoking ceremony. Um, and it's an important part of us to sort of kick off the new year. Um, and Junwon was, was excited by Uncle Max's smoking ceremony and he had also brought with him a whole bunch of incense sticks, um, which you can see him here lighting off the gum leaves, off Uncle Max's gum leaves from the smoking ceremony. And these incense sticks were, were lit and very rapidly passed around the audience and, and poked into the Buddha. Um, so for... It was mildly terrifying to have 500 people in, in a room and, and all of this activity happening, but it was also really exciting. And I think that's one of the points of difference that we have at Carriage Works is that we're able to, to manage and, uh, and do these quite spontaneous acts. So I'll leave it there for now, and we can come back to Zhangwan later. Great. Thank you very much. And Suhanya. Good evening, everyone, and thank you. I'd like to echo my thanks to Sydney University and... Um, all of you for being here and being interested in what we have to say. So I just thought I'd um, distinguish the Art Gallery of New South Wales from the two other spaces because we are a collecting art museum and that means we have a different obligation and remit in terms of how we work with objects and artists and collections. Um, the art gallery, of course, is 140-odd years old in the same site that it has been since it was built for that purpose. Um, and with that, it, it brings the architecture itself, brings a certain um, information to how you see and interact with the objects in space. Unlike my colleagues, I haven't brought any images because I really want you to go and see what we do, rather than look at them as images on a PowerPoint, because in the end, one believes in the object, and what, what that object does to you when you're looking at it is so different to what things look like on a PowerPoint. So I'm hoping that words will encourage you to make the steps of going into the art gallery, or Fourier and carriage works and see the works because really I think that's the, that's the real passion of, that's why I do the work I do because the work in itself speaks in a way that pictures of work don't. Um, I was also invited here to talk about conversations through the Asian collections which is a rehang of the the collections, the Asian collections at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. As Stephen um, said, I joined the gallery just over a year and a half ago. And um, as director of collections, I really believe that collections and collection exhibitions are, th are you know, is an activity that we should pursue vigorously. Collections are not static, they are extremely dynamic and they offer all kinds of possibilities and potentials. And so 
the, the possibility of rehanging the Asian collections in the art gallery of New South Wales was just too good to say no to as one of the first things that I initiated when I came to the art gallery. Um, and I worked with Justin Payton, who had just joined you know, five months after I started as our head curator of international art, and with the Asian curators, um, Sao Yin, Trin Khan, Matt Cox, and Natalie Says. And the six of us would meet every week to think about how we would deliver a new interpretation of our collection. Now, the art gallery has an extraordinary collection of historic Asian art from you know, jade blades that are several thousand years old to Rajput miniatures and Edo screens. And we have also been growing a really interesting contemporary Asian art collection that really reflects that vital cultural energy of this complex region that we're in and Australia's place within it. And it was very important for me that Australia is tabled within that context. And I know we're here to talk about contemporary Chinese art, but conversations through the Asian collection is broader than that. And I have to acknowledge that if I'm gonna talk about conversations. Originally, really, in public art galleries like the Art Gallery of New South Wales, the historic and the contemporary vis-a-vis -vis collection is often separate. But in this exhibition, we decided we would bring them together in a dynamic conversation and that we would lead that conversation through 24 contemporary Asian artists as a way of puncturing through. So the artworks that you will encounter are led by the contemporary voice. And we just hope that what you encounter is poetic, is surprising, is provocative, it, that it makes you think about what is a live connection between what is past and what is present. Thinking about what kinds of conversations we constructed, we thought that we would make um, the exhibition look at, and we used the works as to lead, lead that thinking. Some artists talk directly to specific historic work. Others look at um, forms and techniques, and others still look at philosophy rather than the visual per se. So these are just some of the thinking that structured the curatorial um, choices made. So if you're looking at artists that con conducted their conversations through materials, Liu Zhenhua's incredible ceramic installation was one example of how that worked with Ha Sung and Tang Dynasty monochromes. We have, you know, Ashian's jade bust, which looked directly at the kind of magic and the immortality that jade as a, as a material sits within Chinese culture. Yang Yong Liang's, you know, vision of seething modern megacity within a kind of nest of you know, Chinese ink painting, and the, the relationship between those two works are, are, are very clear, really. So those are some of the conversations that we held in, that we pushed forward. Um, at the heart of the show, I think, is also 
how we are thinking about the contemporary and the historical. So it's, it's complicated, it's not always straightforward. It urges um, the viewer to engage very directly and living artists are central to that show. So I, we thought about them as guides or enthusiasts who would lead the viewer into the collection. So often we um, used quotes from artists, their own voice. Sometimes those quotes are quite passionate and provocative. Others are much more reflective. So um, these are some of the curatorial techniques. Um, I would also say that the public response to this um, rehang has been phenomenal. We have had almost two and a half times the normal number of people walking through those collections. People have written to say they are looking at the historical through the lens of the contemporary and that it's given them um, an immediacy and, a, and they've re-looked at the historical in a completely new way. There are over 300 objects in, um, in that hang, so it's, it's, it's big. But it was, um, it was a mini revolution for us, actually, to, to, to get um, the curators to start thinking about the collection as being something much more active. We, we will rotate those conversations up to four times over the next year, so it's it's an, a, a dynamic and alive conversation. So within those groups of dialogues are a whole other group of contemporary Chinese um, artists, and they include Chinese Australian artists in that, like Ashian and Liu Xiaoshan. Um, it includes Australian artists like Tim Johnson, um, working directly with Himalayan work or Rodney Glick. So when, I, when we're talking about how are we thinking about the contemporary, how are we thinking about contemporary Asia, contemporary Australia, the historical and the contemporary Chinese, what is a Chinese contemporary artist and how do they um, sit within a context like the Art Gallery of New South Wales, we are opening that up in a whole range of ways. And, you know, we're very interested to hear what people think. I guess the other thing to say, you know, as distinct from Foray and Carriage Works is that we have a, a huge audience, some, somewhere between one to 1.3 million people who come to the, to the art gallery and they're coming to see a, a whole range of things, including the collections. And so we're very aware that the relationship between the audience and the artwork needs to be um, presented in particular language. So for us, how we write and speak about the collection needs to be accessible to a broad range of audiences from school, uh, schools from primary and tertiary education classes right through to adults through to Chinese language tours that are conducted through those spaces as well. So it's the obligation and the responsibility is very broad and we take it very seriously. I'll leave it at that. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you all for those wonderful introductions. So you all have succeeded in, in touching upon 
many of the issues that I, that I wanted to discuss tonight. And I guess the first, the place that I'd like to start um, in the hopes of sort of starting broadly and then moving inward some is sort of pressing on this idea from the, from the title of the event about the Australian context. And particularly, um, each, of the, each of the projects that you've discussed, but also each of the institutions um, that, you're, that you're each a part of. And I'm, and I'm very glad that Suhani sort of pointed out some of the fundamental differences, highlighted the differences that, that Aaron and Beatrice mentioned. Um, but you're each engaged with sort of both questions of, of audience and the composition of the audience, and also both the broad Australian context, Australia being a, a highly diverse place with as several of you have mentioned before we started, long-standing um, not only ties, as Aaron mentioned, to, to China, but also a long-standing immigrant population, a very large Chinese diaspora. And also Sydney as a particular sort of uh, subset of the Australian context. And so what's the question out of that? Well, I wonder um, if, if we can start by talking a little about this, this Australian context. Who are the audiences in Sydney and Australia for contemporary Asian art, and how is that audience or those audiences composed, and how do you go about thinking about that when you think about your work as a curator? And who, where should we start with? The I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, I'll jump in because really um, Australia has been engaging with Asian art, contemporary Asian art, and contemporary Chinese art for a long time. It's really important to say that whether you're thinking about the Artists Regional Exchange Project in Perth in the um, late 80s, early 90s, I mean, in Sydney, the Art Care of New South Wales um, was um, the venue for and worked with Claire Roberts in 1992 to do a really important exhibition called New Art from China, Post Mao Product. And that exhibition went up to Queensland Art Gallery, to Ballarat, and then to the Canberra School of Art Gallery. From that, in, from that exhibition, collections grew in both the Art Gallery of New South Wales and in Queensland. The MCA, you know, did um, Mao Goes Pop. Um, around the same time. So in terms of contemporary Chinese art, huge amounts of work. Queensland Art Gallery in the 90s had the Asia, began the Asia Pacific Triennial with you know, a huge engagement with a number of art, um, Chinese artists and Asian and Pacific and Australian artists and continues to do so. Adelaide, the Adelaide Festival, um, again in the 90s and late 90s, did you know, major works with contemporary Asian artists and contemporary Chinese artists. Within, um, and then the powerhouse, you know, Claire Roberts was working at the powerhouse as a curator for decorative arts and worked with artists such as Guan Wei and Arjan, who were Asian Australian artists. We know that the history of Australia was such that in 1989, you know, with that Tiananmen Square incident that, you know, Hawk at that our prime minister at the time offered asylum to Chinese students and, and people. And from that wave of, of artists who came at that time, they included artists like Xin Xiaomin and um, 
yeah, Ashian, Liu Xiaoshan, Guan Wei, you know, a whole r number of artists that have continued to then work from Australia, but as the politics in, on the mainland changed, go back there and set up studios and work across um, China and Australia. So the, the dynamism in terms of visual arts in um, Australia is long-term, and you know, we were engaging with that work long before the market took its um, course, and we see what that means, and, and you know, the global international took, um, took hold of the Chin Chinese avant-garde juggernauts. Um, but collections were being built in, in Australia, certainly at the Argyle New South Wales, Queensland Art Gallery, and the National Gallery in Canberra. So it's, it's a strong and vibrant um, history, and I think it's important to remember that. Mm -hmm. I think the only, some of the things to add to that is the role of um, education. So Sydney University, in fact, is, has housed one of the very, very important uh, courses that that concentrates on on art from the region and and does it and ha does it in a way which um, builds on on a lot of the conversations that happen at, at in other institutions as well. So the work that um, John Clark had done is invaluable, I think, to setting up some of the critical framework as well that was going on at the same time. Um, the other thing, I th one of the other things to add is the role of artist-initiated ad adventures. I mean, so the role of ARX is, is, is crucial, I mean, to, to setting up the types of conversations between studios, the, the role of AsiaLink and their um, sending Australian artists out into Asia again, that kind of opens up, opens up the ball. I suppose how Australia is different to what is going on in the rest of the world around this time, especially after the post Tiananmen Square period, is that the, there is a prehistory. You know, there is a history of Asia and Australia that is so intertwined with the history of Australia's modernity that, that it almost seems, um, well, it, it, there is a very interesting conversation to, em to emerge from that at the same time as you've got the, the other institutional um, movements. I, I would add also that, you know, um, individuals, there are a number yeah. of individuals who worked to, as you said, people like John Clark yeah. and Claire Roberts within the Chinese yeah. field, um, ha but artists as well yeah. who have made those connections. But to pick up on what Aaron said about a longer history that's not that's not even post 89, is the Chinese in Australia. And an artist like William Young, who has done you know, a lot of work reflecting on his Chinese heritage, and he's a third generation Australian who says he came out as a Chinese, <laughs> where, you know, as, as an artist late in his career when he started to explore that, that relationship between China and Australia that goes back a long time that came with the gold rush into North Queensland. I guess I would say to that that the things that really underpin what both Aaron and Suhanya are saying are that so much of it is about personal relationships. Um, then the challenges are, of course, financial uh, 
and geographical here for presenting works. I mean, you have to have a, an organisation that's committed to presenting the work, that's committed to the, the artist and what they want to do, um, and there has to be uh, a kind of reciprocity as well, you know, and these things take time to build these relationships, you know, they take time. So organisations like AsiaLink uh, have been really instrumental in sending artists and scholars and writers on residencies to various places and help setting up those kinds of relationships. And, you know, the Queensland Art Gallery have really been, I guess, pioneering in carving out that territory uh, for collecting contemporary Asian art and contemporary Chinese art uh, long before anybody else was doing it, you know. And for really two and a half, three decades, that's been happening there. And it's, it's such an extraordinary collection. It's unprecedented, you know. So each of you have pointed sort of to some questions that surround as well, um, not only institutional practices, but also audience. And what I want to pursue for a second is sort of that sort of larger, larger thread. Suhania pointed to what we all now know very clearly about Chinese contemporary art, which is that it's become, in some regards, sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the sort of broader global contemporary art world. And in my own thinking about um, Chinese contemporary art, uh, which is substantially less than your own, but one of the things that presents itself frequently is the question of audience and market expectations. How the audience plays into um, the, the, either the formation, the production, the curation, uh, the interpretation, the reception of, of contemporary art, and how that may specifically be true in Australia. I guess what I would ask as a sort of specific start to that question is to, to ask, given the range of audiences, uh, the sort of diversity, let's say the diversity of audiences in Australia, what place does contemporary Chinese art have in Australian understandings um, or imaginings of China today? Um, and what role does, what, what, where does the curator come in that? And what does curatorial practice look like in the sort of mediation or, or moderation of that process of imagining? I think I've got two anecdotes. One is in 2006, I curated Primavera at, the, at MCA. And one of the great things about that gig was that I got to travel all around Australia. And by the, when I got to Brisbane, you would have very interesting conversations with young artists talking about their work in the context of Chinese performance. And, you know, it was a really sophisticated and a very uh, different way of, of looking, you know, young artists thinking about their work in, the, in, in a completely different context. And at that point, there really w was um, only Queensland Art Gallery who, who was collecting and, and really presenting to big, to, to, to mass audiences. And I suppose the second anecdote is the, the role of um, the collections like the White Rabbit Collection and how that has had a very big impact on how people imagine contemporary Chinese art. Um, but the thing I would say is that the Chinese art world is huge. It's actually not, if you can imagine, if you can imagine that even in Australia we have different art worlds, think about a country that has over a billion people and imagine how many different types of conversations and art worlds that could be happening. 
It's mildly terrifying, I think. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I was thinking about this question a little bit and, and I think really from a curatorial perspective and as a curator now, we need to be more discerning than ever about what we present. I think Australian audiences are very hungry uh, for contemporary art and they're receptive towards it when it's good. You know, they've got the discerning. Uh, and, and, and now more than ever that we have access to great collections online uh, and we're able to jump online and see what other organisations are presenting. Um, I think we have to be very careful about, about understanding the, the skill set of our own audiences, you know, uh, and working, as Suhana was saying before, working across uh, different levels and opening up uh, these art worlds. I, I mean, um, the audience is it's vital. You, you don't work in a vacuum. You need to talk to someone. So um, it's really important to then also think about how you keep educating your audience and, and bringing them back. So from my experience at Queensland Art Gallery, where I was there for 20 years, the work with the triennial, and it was really interesting, it was once every three years there was a major engagement with that content in a very particular way. But from that first triennial in 1993, when the audience numbers were around 60,000, to the last one that was, you know, um, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, um, was 700,000. And what we also realized in Queensland was that the audience was primarily local, as in in Brisbane, um, first, and they are coming up to five times to see the work. So that is, from a museum perspective, fantastic result, because that means people understand they've got to come and they have to keep coming to to start to actually interrogate and understand and get a rich experience with an exhibition, especially an exhibition of that scale. Um, so that's 20 years, though, of work with an audience with that material. So you have to be committed and you continue to always present it. So that's one anecdote. The other is um, a project that I did do called The China Project. I was talking to Stephen about it a little bit earlier which was a three, uh, an exhibition in three parts. The first was, and this was in 2009, at the Queensland Art Gallery, at the Gallery of Modern Art. The first part was called Three Decades, the Contemporary Chinese Collection. So by, by the end of the 2000s, the collection was deep enough to, sh to tell a story about contemporary Chinese art that looked at the decades of the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. That's fantastic. It was fantastic to be able to do that. In tandem to that was a solo exhibition of Zhang Zhao Gang, who also looked at three decades of his, we looked at three decades of his practice. And this is an artist, unlike Sai Guo Chang or Xu Bing or Zhang Huan, uh, was one of the artists that didn't leave China. So for me, it was important to, to think about that. And he was totally caught up in the art market. Nobody could talk about Zhang Zhaogan without talking about bloodlines and how big the price of a painting was. And so you weren't looking at his art anymore. So Long Lin and I co-curated an exhibition that brought work that actually Zhang Zhaogan had never brought out of the studio from the 80s where, you know, an artist in huge turmoil that has come out of 
the cultural revolutionary period where, you know, he was a, a child and then a young man and that history shaped the artist that he became. Um, and then the third aspect to that show was William Young, Lifelines. And again, to talk about, if we're talking about contemporary Chinese art in Australia, we need to acknowledge the Chinese in Australia and that it's a deep one and a long-term one and that the Chinese are in here as part of us as much as they are over there. But the story that I wanted to say was that there's a whole group of young Chinese students that are part of the university system. They totally came to that show. And I was also working with the oral historian Sang Ye in that exhibition. And these huge arguments would take place because the, those young students did not believe that the three decades that avant-garde Chinese art was really Chinese art. So it was a very, very interesting moment when a group of young people were feeling this was not Chinese art. This was an avant-garde that somehow they could not connect to. And, and it was really important to have Zhang Jiaogang was there, Wang Ching Song, another artist, and Sang Ye, who were, you know, who were able to speak to them and say, no, but this is our history too. And we need to look at it. And, and the art is a way of looking at that history. So, you know, audience is a, is a, a big thing. And an audience is a, a many kinds of people, including Chinese people. And we have a big population of Chinese students, uh, residents, you know, they are part of a diaspora just like I am. So the, that actually, to, pre, to pursue this question a little bit about sort of dominant narratives or let's say predominant narratives in contemporary Chinese art a little bit and picking up on what Suhani has just said, um, a, a theme that's common to all the installations that you've described is a, is a relationship between uh, historic practice or, or, or maybe self-consciously using the word traditional practice instead of historic practice and contemporary practice. Um, an interest in, in calligraphy that's at the heart of, of the Yang Zhang group's practice among other, among other aspects that you mentioned there. And um, Beatrice, you and I discussed not only sort of the idea of, of Buddhism and sort of very old Buddhist ideas uh, around transience in and duality and non-duality in John Juan's show, but also the fact that indeed it was the the, the sculpture itself was packed using a, a form of, of packing that is related to very old architectural practices, ancient architectural practices in China. And Suhania, you you discussed this idea of the contemporary in part as a window into or as a way of relating to or offsetting or understanding the historic in, in some sort of dialogue or in a conversation, of course, to take the name of the exhibition. So I guess to sort of cast this question broadly, how do you understand as, as curators who have been engaging with this practice, with the artists, with audiences that are obviously more or less interested in certain things, more or less interested in relating to certain ideas, to be, uh, to be frank, how do you understand this relationship of, of, of the contemporary with the, let's say, the traditional? 
um, or, or constructions of tradition in the, in the work that you've been doing. Mm. Is that too much? <laughs> I, I mean, some of the questions we asked was, does tradition continue seamlessly into the present? Does contemporary art reshape our sense of the past? How do past forms survive and change shape as they encounter new ideas and new technologies? So these were like central questions to, um, in terms of how we curated conversations. And really, in the end, it's all of those things. But you would say yes to all of them um, because it's, it's not one or the other. And the, these artists, you know, the, the past shapes who we are now, and artists are not fettered by time. They, they, they go, they are boundless in, in terms of leaping through centuries if that's what interests them. So, and I think that is a very enabling thought. Mm. Uh, but, I, sorry, you, you go. There you go. I, I think that this is a really particular kind of contemporary art which we're talking about, um, even across the different types of organizations that we, that we represent. I mean, um, probably Jenggu, Young Jung Group is the youngest of them, but they're still in their mid-40s. Uh, mid I mean, the kinds of conversations that, that are happening now in China are not necessarily tied to uh, tradition. I, and in fact, even Jeng, the calligraphy here is not traditional. It's actually a big um, a f sticking a finger up at, at tradition. They don't actually, they believe that it is over uh, calligraphy and, and that type of ink tradition um, over regulates the types of creative and artistic conversations that be, can be happening. So just recently in, uh, as I was traveling a couple of weeks ago, kinds of conversations that you're having with young artists are about artificial intelligence. They're about um, abstraction and color and form, they're not necessarily tied to, they, all of these things have traditions of course, but um, they're also trying to push things in, in completely different ways. And I think the, maybe the, the kinds of work that we see in Australia might also reflect our own preoccupations. So, you know, like, um, yeah, maybe, that, maybe it does in some ways reflect that. So it'll be interesting to see what the next stage of collecting the art gallery, or the Queensland Art Gallery might, might, or even the, the programming. I think the programming at Carriageworks is very interesting because as we were talking about audiences, you've got the most, you've got a really, really strange audience in the sense that, <laughs> that but, but, not, but working with them in a really productive way. So you could have conversations around design and fashion and um, Aboriginal history, all in that same space, you know, and that's, and I think that the, it's not just about curating, it's also about programming, it's also about the types of architectural interventions that happen to make these conversations happen. Yeah, yeah I would say, I mean, we have a, a very, very broad audience at CarriageWorks, um, and I guess what's at the heart of our programming is A, that it's artist-led, but also that it reflects the diversity of this city and, and this country. Um, I think a 2011 census, uh, there were almost 400,000 people in Sydney uh, of Chinese uh, origin or, or who identified themselves with, with Chinese, with having Chinese origins. I mean, that's a huge, it's a population of Canberra, 
you know, uh, just to have here in Sydney. So in terms of um, talking to those audiences and communicating with those audiences, it's, it's, you're absolutely crazy if you're not at least trying to reach out. You know, uh, and just what's what you what we were talking about before in terms of the artist being conscious of history and their own place in history and Chineseness and Chinese history. I think of Songdong and Jianwan. In some ways, so much of their work has been about how to shared history and move through it and get beyond it and put yourself into a modern world and a modern context and being a, a modern Chinese person. You know, um, and now they've both in in some ways returned back to their more traditional and academic. Uh, roots. Um, Songdong is, of course, based in in Beijing, and and, Shanghai, and Zhangwan is in Shanghai. Uh, but they've kind of come back to more traditional forms of art making after moving through probably two and a half decades of really radical attempts to shed this burden of history that they both carried. Well, that's a really interesting. I mean, the idea of 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 reading Songdong and Zhanghan as sort of, in, and others as engaged in a sort of cathartic process on, on, on the part of larger art worlds in China is something that I hadn't really considered. It's a very interesting idea. Um, but that leads to really what you all said leads to um, my last question before we turn it over to the audience, which is, um, is the future of, of of curating contemporary art, Chinese art. Obviously, we can't predict precisely who the next artist will be and what the next show will be. But what do you see as some of the sort of the horizons and opportunities and pitfalls to come in the next period um, in in your field in the curatorial practice in, in Australia? I think the big one is nationalism. The, that that is the biggest pitfall um, because we've only also talked about a particular kind of Chinese art that comes from China. What about um, you know, I always use the example of, you know, we've worked with, with Chinese artists from New York, or, you know, um, what about the, the new diasporas and also the historic diasporas that, that will begin to assert their own histories and um, through, through, through artistic practice. I think that, that what happens also to contemporary art or nationalisms when they hit the internet, you know how 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 do how might this also, um, you know what what new things will emerge from those conversations that are happening now about about um, the impact and the effect of, of our internet and how it changes how we think. These and these things aren't are no longer, or maybe they could also reinforce these um, preoccupations around around the nation. I mean, from an, you know, a collecting institutional point of view, price yeah. is a big one <laughs> to put on the table. You know, in terms of the global international market is, I don't know, I think it's kind of mad. It's not, it doesn't reflect um, a, a reality and it's, and that is um, a real problem for the institution because the institution I mean, an art museum institution, because our, you know, we, we talk about art and art history and we need to collect, and when we can't afford to collect, then you're ignoring, yeah. or there's, suddenly there's these absences. So what's very clear, our artists are alive to that, and they, are, they, they become very committed to ensuring that their work comes into the public institution, because it's so important that it's seen within these other histories. But the market is a, 
is a force that we can't ignore. And there's something about that commerce that is disturbing. I would say from a non-collecting non institution and a multidisciplinary institution, um, for us it's really about staying at the pace that artists are working at. Um, having trained in a, in a very traditional museological kind of way of curatorial practice and, and now working in a place where you're working with artists all the time who are demanding very particular and very specific things out of left field, um, it made me realise that, you know, having collections based in very particular media or, or you know, it, these are things that we've constructed as art historians, as museums and collections and galleries because we've needed to make sense of all of this material that's out there. Uh, so it's a very natural thing for us to want to do as historians and curators is to put everything neatly into a category. Uh, but artists don't necessarily work like that. In fact, they really don't work like that at all, you know. So to be able to work in a multidisciplinary way I think is really exciting and CarriageWorks is at that kind of place where we're not a black box, we're not a white cube, you know. Uh, we have all of this, we have this kind of strange industrial space, but artists really love it, you know. So it's about us presenting a platform for artists to make the work that they want to work, that they want to make, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I'd like to give the opportunity to you all to ask some questions um, for a little while. We're going to have a mic that is going to go around. Um, hello and thank you for all the discussion so far. Um, a few of you might know my friend Peter Nagy who opened a gallery in India um, back in the 90s to show contemporary art um, for, of India alongside contemporary art from the West. And he found, he said to me, he found that international curators coming through, um, there was a particular type of art, of Indian, contemporary Indian art that they, would, they ended up focusing on and, and you would know that some of those artists are now very famous around the world. But he said, um, for example, there's very good modernists in India, but their work was not Indian enough for the international curators coming through. And then there were other artists for whom the work was too Indian. And the stuff that tended to get picked up by the international curators was somewhere in this middle. Do you find yourselves as, as curators um, walking that line or, or resisting walking that line? It's a really good question and I think it is definitely one of those questions that does come down to geography uh, and your place within an artistic community. Um, moving back to Australia after living in the States for five years and every year I'd come back to um, visit my family or whatever and I'd go to as many museums and galleries as I could and check out everything that was going on. I came back to Australia with this really long list of amazing American artists that we don't see here, you know, because they're part of, they're not part of the Biennale set or the set that you might see in international triennials or shows, uh, they exist in a whole other art world, you know. And so there's, there are these um, stratas, I guess, within art, worlds, within art worlds, you know. So you have to think constantly about, about your audience and you have to have the support of your organisation to present the work that you want to show. Um, and it's taken, I've been at CarriageWorks now for three years and I'm working on a project with an artist in 2018, which is one of those artists who was on that list. So, you know, it takes a lot of time uh, to make those things happen as well. I'm sure that all exhibition making somehow reflects our own prejudices and, and, and interests. I think it's, um, but for, for us, Young John Group is a really, uh, was a real effort for us to think outside of the things that we already understood, um, to, to look at maybe 
different political moments and histories that occur within, within China which are overlooked by other kinds of exhibitions. So, you know, we did a lot of research about Guangdong in the, in the, in the 80s especially. Like, um, and that was, um, you know, of course, that the Yang Zhang Group and Zheng Group were big, big names, but it was, a, it was a, a concerted effort for us to think outside of, outside of Beijing and Shanghai, really. Um, uh, two responses. One is, you know, within the Arc of New South Wales, the modern expression of ink is something that is there within the collection and continues to be pursued. So it's not part of that um, Biennale circuit, it's, but it's a very important part of Chinese painting history. So, and it does keep going into the present. And I know, you know, I was recently at, in Hong Kong, and M Plus is building a, a major museum there. And they are thinking very strongly about how does ink sit within that context of contemporary collecting, because they're building a, a contemporary collection of visual culture. And so, um, and Hong Kong art has to be a part of that, but ink has to be in dialogue in some way. So yeah, so those are challenges that sit there. But to go back to the Indian question, <laughs> um, I do remember working on the, I think it was a third triennial in Queensland and selecting Indian artists, including the Indian artist Sonabai, who was what we call an Adivasi artist or a tribal artist. And the Indians were outraged because they did not think that she was a contemporary artist. So what is, considered contemporary also changes according to who is looking. And of course, our looking, we have a very serious context in terms of indigenous artists. And that's something that's been there right from the beginning. And so it was, it was great to be able to open a two-way street in another direction. So yeah, the looking happens in, and, and they are localized looking and it is expressed. The only thing I suppose I would add is that this is a re the reason why um, education and scholarship is so important. That that there are the um, art curators who have an understanding of the art historical from all specialised understandings is really really important to the kinds of conversations which we, we which we have. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm misguided myself by the title of this evening and um, curating Chinese art, I was looking for something a bit deeper in what you actually do in the process steps of putting out an exhibition. What thoughts go through your mind at a deeper, maybe even more personal level? So could I ask each speaker to tell us three points, three deeper process points that they consider when they're curating Chinese art? For this particular project with Yang Zhang Group, we'd done a lot of research, and the thing that we were most concerned about with, was the very early work of, of Yang Zhang Group, where they got incredibly drunk before, as they were making work, and to the point where they didn't even know what they were, they hadn't remembered that they had produced the work after they had produced it. <laughs> so that's, as, as, we were very happy when we got to, to their studio that, uh, for the last couple of years, they had stopped drinking, and they had um, 
immerse themselves in the world of tea. So almost all of our trip was revolved around sessions of, of, of drinking tea. But I suppose more, more, um, more practically, we're thinking about how can we afford it? <laughs> um, how are we going to freight it? Can we afford to freight it? Um, and also for 4A as a kind of organisation that really likes to work directly with artists, what's the quality of, of, the, of the relationship like before we even um, embark on a, on a project? Do we, have the, do, do we understand them as much as they understand what our mission is? You know, we definitely don't want to have exhibitions where that there's no relationship between the artist and the organisation. I mean, we truly wanted them to, to present something which could also change the way that we think about how to present contemporary art. And I think that we do this all the time, especially you know, in small organisations, you have the, have the flexibility and the freedom, I suppose, to um, go investigate these, these particular attitudes towards, towards art. And um, you know, we, like to be, we like to be tested. In terms of... Um my practice, and this is again a collecting institution, there are different kinds of exhibitions that you put together. And in terms of contemporary Chinese art, um, I go back to the China project as an example. So looking at the collection exhibition, the 30, the 30 years, the three decades, it was looking at the history of that period in China and how artists were responding to that history or not responding or being you know, quite radical in their actions. And you can see it change with each decade. The 80s were you know, a very particular decade post-cultural you know, post revolution. It was quite open. But artists were making work really for themselves. They were not making work for an audience at all. And, and the character of that work, you can see it in the kind of work they made. And, and their relationship to immediate history as well as a deeper, long 5,000-year history. <coughs> by, by the 90s and into the 2000s, you, you begin to see international, global, um, the impact of that on artists' practice. And so you're able to tease that out. So the art history is very much part of the curating of an exhibition like that. But to take a step back and saying, you know, what are we giving our audiences by making an exhibition like that? I didn't want to give them just that. So I made an argument to the institution to say, let's think about it in three different ways. So you structure the exhibition process and the curatorial thinking to give three points of view, if you like, that included an Australian one within it with William's work. So that's one example. The other is if we're looking at the conversations through the Asian collections, those questions that I said earlier, those are the key questions that made us think about how to structure the collection hang. But primarily, <coughs> the questions are being approached via a contemporary artist's practice rather than the other way around. I hope that helps. I think my 
sort of thing that drives me is sort of much more base than that. I usually have to have a very strong gut reaction um, when I m meet a work of art or when I see a work of art. Um, and, and I also have to think to myself when I'm thinking about presenting something or including something that no, not, no two people will experience this in the same way. Okay, so everybody is really going to have a different experience when they meet this work of art. And what they take away from it is going to be probably quite different um, to what the person standing next to them may take away from it. And I guess the third thing I think about is that material culture and, and visual arts has the capacity to, to move through time um, and to tell stories through time. Um, and if a work of art has the capacity that sort of that talks to me and I'm able to, to get a sense of the story of that through time, that I'm interested in it. And one example of that would be um, Songdong's Waste Knot. Um, now, it was very fortuitous when I came to Carriageworks in 2012 that Lisa and Aaron both had relationships with Songdong and they were really excited and wanted to work with him. I'd seen the work on display at MoMA in 2009 and it had profoundly moved me. Um, and so I was so excited to think about how we could show it in Sydney at Carriageworks and how it would look here and how it would communicate with our audiences here. Um, and I guess with an artist like Zhang Wan, I'd first come across his practice really in, in a kind of a true sense at a show called Inside Out New Chinese Art, which was at the National Gallery of Australia in about 2001. Uh, and I was working then as a, I think, a curatorial assistant in the Department of Australian Painting and Sculpture. Zhang Wan was doing a performance as part of the opening celebrations of that show, a performance called My Australia, where about 50 people were running naked through the freezing sculpture garden in August, you know, um, and it galvanised the whole staff. We were so excited about this occasion um, and the energy that was around this occasion. Uh, and, and there are a number of artists who were in that exhibition whose practices I followed from that point on. Uh, so really with Zhang Wan, I've watched what he's been doing, you know, for the last 15 years and, and when Lisa and I were talking about artists who would be able to hold our public space, who would be able to make work uh, that can kind of manage the conditions of that space, um, he was on our list, you know. So it was a matter of then reaching out to him and convincing him why he should come and show with us. <laughs> Aaron, as you end your tenure at Gallery 4A, could I ask you to reflect on your opening remarks about 1996 when a group of artists gathered to talk about the history of Asia and relationships with Asia in Australia not being lost. In uh, 2015, would you care to reflect on that, uh, that point you're making? Is there a, a sense of loss that pervades that group of people or are things continuing to be lost and found? Uh, just this is a very big question. I'll, I'll answer it very briefly to say that I think that the world has shifted so completely since since that period. The world that we we feared, you know, I mean, I was like a uh, in high school, like finishing high school. The world that you really feared from that kind of um, xenophobia doesn't does not exist in the same way that it does. Of course, there are remnants of it. And, um, but I think that, you know, it's a, tr it's a true reflection of the, of the foundations of Australian society as being 
diverse, which have, have really steered us away from that, from that um, nightmare. Hi, sorry. Um, this is going to sound a bit stream of consciousness. Um, just as a Chinese Australian, I find that um, when it comes to contemporary Chinese art in Australia, even though there's a great knowledge of you know the large demographics of Chinese people in like, particularly Sydney, I find that a lot of the art galleries are unable to communicate um, the artists and their exhibitions to that demographic. I was just, because when you go to them, all of them are purely in English, all the explanatory memorandums, everything is in English, and I find that even to explain to my parents, um, it's been quite hard to actually try and engage the actual Chinese Australians to the Chinese Australian artists who have been represented by a um, English sort of audience. I was just wondering, you know, all of you guys represent a uh, very formidable sort of um, art world in Sydney and Australia. So are there any um, perspectives that you guys have been thinking about in changing that? I know that, for example, Art Gallery New South Wales has Chinese-led uh, tour groups and um, I think that's the extent of my knowledge of that, but I wonder if the other two galleries um, have any thoughts on that. Yeah, um, thank you for your question. I would just say that for both Waste Not uh, and Zhang Wan, all of the text was translated in, in Mandarin um, and there for the public. Um, and it was very important, actually. Um, for, for Zhang Wan, we didn't even think about it. It was a given. We had the, the media release, um, everything translated with Songdong. Oh, great, OK, we, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's get this done. Uh, and he was absolutely insistent that the large stories that were about uh, his, his family and um, the relationship of of um, the stories about the work, essentially, which were the large text panels on the wall, that they were in, in both Mandarin and English. It was really important. Uh, and it was, it was part of the spine of the work. So I would hope that, that in that way we were able to kind of um, to communicate to those audiences, yeah. It's a really important question, actually. Um, and it's not just only the Chinese works that need to be in another language. It's, everything um, and so the gallery is really looking at that because and actually it's not just Chinese the second most spoken language in Sydney is Arabic and so the the gallery is really alive to the fact that our audiences are from many diverse backgrounds and come with many different languages and I think it's really important in Australia that we we actually attend to the fact that language is something we really do need to pay attention to. And we have to stop being so monolingual, or you know, in certainly in the big institution end of it, and start breaking that down. Yes, the art gallery does have Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, and Japanese language tours. But, um, but those are guided tours with individuals taking people around the various collections. But I do think we need to have the ability for people to access work in other languages. And I think we can't have reams of text, of course, on the wall. And that's when technology really starts to be a useful tool. So we're looking into it. Good. I, I just think it's great that you take your focus to the galleries. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also, I mean, there's, a, there's a, an expectation that things need to be explained. I think that there's also something quite um, um, magical or, or, you know, something quite 
amazing about encountering things on your own terms as well. So, um, yeah. Hi there. Um, my question is for Suheya. Um, you've said you've just said that um, you see technology as a tool of looking at the past, and Conversations Gallery is really a great opportunity for the general public to understand Chinese history. But um, seeing as many of the strike works themselves, uh, hundreds to possibly thousands of views and difference, and they kind of a lot of the works serve their own complex purposes and they have their own servers, you know, their own complex icons. And a lot of the contemporary art, it invites the audience to kind of play with their own preformed impressions. Do you think there are any dangers of using contemporary art as a gateway of looking at the past? And if so, what's, um, what's next for the Art Gallery of New South Wales? It's always dangerous. <laughs> but I think that's not a bad thing. Um, it's, it's really important to also understand a lot of the historical material was made not for art museums. They were made for palaces or for temples or, you know, they had very different um, uses and, and, and their power lies in that. So they're already in a very different environment as soon as they enter a museum collection when you think about their original um, life, if you like. So it's um, part of our job is to make people also alert to that, because it is that history as well. The conversations though, like I said, it's through the lens of 24 contemporary artists. So we've put aside chronology and we've decided to look at narrative as our way in. And I think curatorial practice needs to practice and that's what we're doing, we're practicing it. Sometimes you make a mistake. That's okay, you learn from that. But I think it's part of making those spaces a really lively space. And really people are very interested to participate in that risk taking. It's good to do dangerous things in what is really a very safe environment, which is the, which is the museum. I think it's a great question, actually. In terms of that question, I don't, um, I think, you, you know, you can't be afraid to get it wrong because if you don't, if, you, if you're afraid to get it wrong, you'll never do anything, you know, and we sort of hold up our museums and public institutions and the collections as, and their presentations as dog, dogma, you know, and they're the canon and all of that. But there are so many gaps and there are so many interesting stories in between everything that's on the wall. There's 10 things that aren't, you know, and, and um, or more. You know, so I think it's a really important job for curators to, to be vital in that regard and to push their collections and, and to make mistakes and to take some criticism, uh, but to be able to answer back to it. And um, visiting the collection show a couple of weeks ago, it was great to see people in there um, talking about the works in a way that perhaps with contemporary art they might have felt like they didn't understand it or they didn't feel engaged with it. And with historic art, they weren't um, clever enough or, or learn it enough to, to be able to look at it and really kind of think about it. So I think you just have to be prepared to just take those risks. Yeah. But um, can I, sorry, on that, about taking risks, the only problem is that sometimes, say with the big, big Buddhas, most of Australian engagement with Buddha is like in crappy Thai restaurants or going overseas. <laughs> but, and then, you, and then for, to invite Australians to come up and you know, start poking what is essentially incredibly sacred objects, I know the artists may understand there's, you know, 
things of impermeability and things of, you know, there are, there are you know, art history tenets of the artwork that maybe public won't understand and they might just see it as a way of, um, I don't know, playing, playing on what they already know, which isn't always correct. And that, I, I think that's a big problem for Australia. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, and I agree with it to a certain degree. I think at the opening uh, and the kind of smoking celebration and the celebration, it was very much, Zhang Wan was very much directing that. And he was, you know, handing out the, the sticks um, and asking people to do this. And, and after that ceremony, the work has not been touched. And it, it's not a work that people can go up to and, and pat and touch and put their own, you know, uh, stick onto. So I think that's when the role of the, of the institution comes in as well, is to um, position the work in a place where it is given the, the respect and the attention that it, that it deserves. Um, hello. Uh, just one question is, um, you were talking about how important um, spectator is in terms of exhibition. So I want to ask um, your institution, what have you done to, um, to engage people with, um, with less art history, art historical awareness? I, I think if you try and strip people of their art historical awareness, I think that you're going down the wrong road. My, um, a, a good friend of mine who is a writer who writes you know, for different types of publications has the analogy that if you can't describe what is going on in a work in a way you're talking to a friend who might not understand it, uh, sorry, let me rephrase it. You need to be able to talk in a way where you can talk to somebody who doesn't understand what's going on in a work so that they understand it, but also talk to people who understand the, the art historical context as well. So there's always multiple conversations that are going on in, in an exhibition, um, and our audiences bring so much to, to a work of art that you, know, you can't take for granted their own, their, their own intelligence there. I guess I would say my approach to that, um, whether it's talking to university students or school groups who are visiting or just spending time down on the floor, I really like going down to the gallery when a show is on and just listening to what people are saying. Um, that's a way to get a little bit of a sense of feedback or talking to the people at the front desk and asking them, what are people saying? Like, what kind of feedback are you, are you getting? But um, it's, I agree with Aaron, you have to be able to, to enter the work at a number of different points. Uh, it's not necessarily about art history and understanding uh, the, this artist's place in art history or some kind of canon of art history. It can be about the beauty of materials or it can be about faith or it can be about cycles of life and regeneration. I mean, artworks speak to people differently uh, and I think you've got to just touch base with your audiences and, and spend some time and, and listen to what they're asking from you as well. I, I would concur and just say that the use of language, you know, how you choose to write your didactic material, you know, curators pore over those for a long time. The hardest is to write 150 words, it really is. A 5,000 word essay is much easier, but 150 words is a true challenge to, to be able to communicate directly, clearly, but not lose, you know, some poetic, sensual essence as well. It's, it, that's very hard, and we, we struggle with it, and, but we feel very committed to doing it. 
think we have time for one more question. Um, we see two over here. We Um, just since Chinese artists have sort of taken the world by storm since they, um, since like the 1980s, what do you think are the challenges they face today in the two, like in the 2000s, and what the responsibility is of the curator to sort of facilitate their um, development as artists, not just sort of going along with the force of the art market? I think it's very hard for the younger generations of. Of, of artists anyway, not just Chinese artists, because uh, the intensity of contemporary art has increased so much that, you, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of recede into a cynicism. And I think um, I find that that's kind of really important to encourage all artists to keep making, because it's on the shoulders of artists that practice survives. And as a curator, for me, it's really important to do studio visits and talk to artists and say, it's really important, the work you're doing. I, I guess I would agree with that in the sense that, you, you know, art goes through fashionable and non-fashionable uh, stages and, and periods. And, you know, there's a lot of painters out there painting. <laughs> it, but the, the point is to, to be making to keep making work, you know, and to not necessarily be sucked in by what's receiving the most attention at the moment, because those things will pass and good work will always shine through. It might not be discovered in the lifetime of the artist, but, you know, it will, it will shine through. And so I just say, you've just got to stick to doing your own thing. I'd agree. Okay, so, and now, now really the last question, because there was one more that I saw. Oh, uh, I, have, I have one question in two parts. Okay, the first one is uh, in the 1980s, around the mid, the avant-garde, the Western art critics or the curators went to China, they went straight into the art institutions like, like art academies. And nowadays, I know the shift is, these artists, they're not from art institutions. They had training background, but they not belong to them. And I find it's quite intriguing. Is that uh, intentionally you doing that to move away from the art institutions? And that one also lead to another one. I'll ask the two questions, two parts together. And you, I agree with you that audience is so important for the creator point of view. Uh, as an artist myself, I'm, I haven't been paying that great a, attention to that rather than just get out of my guts. I do it because it's like food. I need to consume it. Uh, and patience is another great thing you're talking about. And also, I think curators has the role of talking, putting the words. But now, as the contemporary artist, they also have another language of themselves. So how would you advise, as an artist, the amount of talking. Where is the <laughs> <laughs> fine line we could draw? <laughs> That's it. You know, um, there's a great text that Huang Yongping wrote in the 90s. Uh, it's called Art, Art and Power, or something like that. It's in, the, it's in the back of the collection that Ha Hanru made for his big um, survey show maybe 10 years ago. And in it, he says something like, the most impact that an artist can have is to be ignored. 
That's when you know you have you have the most um, you'll have the most impact. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a curator's job is to actually be the person who mediates the artist and the audience, actually. I really don't think artists, are, when they make work, are thinking about an audience. That's I, my sense when I speak to many artists is the art makes them even more than they make the art. It, they just have to do it. It's just, as you say, it's like food. You just can't not do it. And you're not thinking about, well, who's going to see it and what are they going to think about it. I don't think you, that's not... That's a very common, and that's just, that's how artists are. So, but a curator's job is to communicate that work. That's, that's our job. <laughs> um, so I, I wouldn't worry about it. And, and you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's like I said earlier, you, you just have to make the work. For, for us, when I think about artists, it's, you just have to practice and then, you know, we will, we will engage. But it's very hard when there are so many artists and I understand how hard that is. It's hard for us to, <laughs> in reverse. Just to clarify that, what he meant is that, <laughs> no, no, because I, I re-read re that in my, I re-played that back in my brain and it didn't make any sense. In order to kind of circumvent all of those power structures and um, the, in order to maintain a level of freedom, artistic freedom, he, he felt that the best thing was to be ignored. And he was talking about around the same time as the big um, uh, Le Magician Solitaire, all of that stuff that, that really, really uh, helped to develop his career. Yeah. In, in the end, it's about making the work. You know, it's not about who is going to recognize it and in what context and which collections. That'll, that's, a, that's a whole other world. But the world of the artist and the place of the artist in community and society, it's just essential. It's like the health of a community, I think, depends on artists. Well, I think that's an excellent note to end on, actually. Thank you all very much, and thank you to our panelists for a very interesting